Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Today's scripture reading comes from Esther chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go, Gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today we close off our series, Finding God in the Dark, and we're in the book of Esther, looking at the story of Esther. You know, in the classical literature sense, a tragedy is a story that has some joy, but it ends in sorrow. But a comedy, though it has some sorrow, it actually ends in joy. That's the difference between a tragedy on one hand and a comedy on the other. For, the, for many, the world right now is a tragedy. There's very little picture of hope. But for Christians, the world is a comedy. The story of Esther and the story of us, it can often feel like a tragedy. If we're only reacting to our emotions and how we are feeling in the moment, it's a, it's a tragedy. How will this end good? Will we not have hope? On the other hand, those who think about the good news of the faith and what we have in Jesus we will see that even in pain, even in moments of trial, and when the odds are against us, our story bears the marks of a comedy, meaning it will end in joy. And Esther is, is the only book in the Bible that does not mention God once. I mean, not even once does it mention God. It doesn't mention faith, prayer, covenant, any of these spiritual words are not mentioned. Rabbis early on debated whether the book of Esther should actually be canonized into the Hebrew Bible. It is a book that tells the story of Purim, the holiday that Jews celebrate today once a year, and they read Esther twice in the month of February to celebrate Purim. You know, Martin Luther didn't even think that Esther should be in the scriptures. He had a problems with a lot of things. We're not going to go there. But Esther teaches us that God's silence doesn't mean his absence. And although God is hard to see, he's actually powerfully working behind the scenes. And that's what Esther shows us. And so what I want to look at today is when the odds are against us, how do we progress? When the odds are against us as a faith community, how do we grow? You know, when things are challenging and difficult, how do we move forward when the circumstances seem to discourage us? Esther's gonna show us how in these moments of pain, we can trust that the end will be a comedy 
and not a tragedy. And these are not just the questions of our hearts. They are the questions of God's people for a long time, and they are the questions that they experienced in the story of Esther. So backstory starts with a story of a young girl named Hadassah. Hadassah is orphaned. She's, uh, she has no family. Hadassah is adopted by her uncle Mordecai, and she's experienced a lot of trauma. But any of us who have experienced this kind of trauma know the particular loss and pain and have some kind of idea how unsettling this was. I imagine it raised all kinds of trust issues for Hadassah, abandonment issues for Hadassah. And so, which raises the question for me is, why, where is her grandmother? Who was the, who's the rest of her family? We just don't know. Now, on the other side of town of Hadassah is Susa. It's the political power of the day. It is where the king reigns in the palace. It's where the laws are made. And in this place, it begins in the, with a party. The king holds a massive party to show how great and vast his greatness is. It is a party for all the leaders of the region. Excess, eat whatever you want. He throws a no-holds-bar party for weeks on end. This party lasts for so many weeks, and it's nothing spared, excess, goblets of wine, delicacies at their leisure, servants coming at their beacon call, and it was absolutely crazy. Now, in this party, they get weary of all the good craziness, and people are ooing and aahing, but the, it begins to get dull, and they say, hey, I got an idea. Let's get Queen Vashti to come over and, and parade around for us and strut her stuff and her beauty to us. Of an oppressive and strange call. The king obliges and calls her over, but Queen Vashti has nothing to do with it. I like Queen Vashti. She, she says, I'm not going to strut around like some common concubine. I've got more dignity than that. And the king banishes her from the palace. Now, more bad political advice comes to the king and says, hey, let's throw a beauty pageant. Call all the fairest women of the land and have a beauty pageant. You select your new queen. Now, this is when the palace intersects with Hadassah. Hadassah is captured, forced against her will, in trafficked into the palace. And Mordecai has a chance to give his last words to his daughter. And he says, don't let anybody know you're a Jew. Now, if my daughter was captured, there's a lot of things I would say to her. But for me to tell her to hide and conceal her ethnic identity is not one of those realities that I will ever face. But... Mordecai was living in a time not too different from our own ethnic realities. When he understands Hadassah's ability to thrive and have success would be completely hindered by her ethnicity and not the character of her conduct. And he says, don't call yourself Hadassah, call yourself Esther. Assimilate. This is the only way you're going to thrive in the palace. And this is not what she intended for her life. She had dreams just like any other young girl. She was probably 16. She probably wanted a family. And her ability to be multicultural, yet intelligent, and her external beauty, along with her internal beauty, causes her to win the beauty pageant. She wins the contest, and now she's the queen. Now, so what I want to see today is when odds are against us, like they are against Esther, uh, what do we do? What must we remember? How are we going to progress and grow when the odds are against us? Hadassah's story teaches us that, first of all, disconnecting is not an option. 
two specific ways that Esther disconnects. She disconnects from the problem of her people and the people themselves. Esther is now, even though as gross as it is, she's kicking it in the palace. She's living it up in the palace, enjoying the luxuries of her time in a place of privilege. And we know that bad news was not allowed to enter the palace. But one day she looks out her window and she sees her uncle Mordecai with thousands of Jews in sackcloth and ashes, wailing and weeping and fasting. And she says, oh no, this is disgusting. This is Mordecai, get some better clothes on. And she sends Mordecai some new clothes. You see, Esther was wanting to avoid the realities of her people. She was wanting to avoid the problem and send the clothes and say, clean yourself up, you stink, you smell. And she's saying basically what commentators show is she's simply saying, take it down a notch, avoid the real issue. In many ways, this is how we respond to our palaces, to the issues in our city when people of color are treated differently today, especially in the time of COVID-19. And we are seeing this time right now where, where even uh, uh, the realities, the social realities of our time be very similar to Esther and Mordecai's. Now here's what's happening. Haman, one of the, the leaders in the palace has an ego trip and has a need for people to bow down and worship him. He sends a decree to the government to annihilate the Jewish people. And there's, he says there's a certain people that don't deserve to be treated as equal in our society. So let's fix a date and annihilate them. And by the way, King, here's two thirds of your annual gross um, income as a country to make up for it. And the king accepts. Esther's palace is a lot, like, a lot like ours. We have countless ways to distract ourselves when we don't wanna deal with the problem. It's easy for me to feel safe in the walls of my palace and let whatever happen in the world happen. God challenges us though, to speak up. And so if you are in a position of power, we are to do whatever it takes to help those who are oppressed. And God does this repeatedly in scripture. Over and over again, scripture says, you need to jeopardize your position to help others. Leverage your connections, use your voice. Whatever is at your disposal, be a voice for those who are oppressed and stop injustice. It is relevant challenge for all of us. It's easy to feel safe in the walls of the palace and let rest of the world happen and just let it happen. And God challenges us to be challenged and to reach out. Now, personally, I've been challenged by this, asking myself questions. Do I use my position as a place to speak up for others? Do I take a hit for another person? Do I use my mental and emotional energy to get involved in a crisis? And am I actively leveraging all that I have to help those in need? And I love what Mordecai does. He sends the clothes back. I love what Brenda Salter McNeil says about this passage. She says that Mordecai serves as a prophetic edge for us. Mordecai says, I'm not gonna hush up. I'm not gonna stop wailing out. I'm sending the clothes back. And there's so many of us, so many of you that are on the margins, so many of you that have experienced injustice, it is time to send the clothes back. I love it that Rose, this is the history of our people. Rosa Parks sends the clothes back. I'm not going to the back of the bus. You have stories of, of, of Ahmad and who recently was shot tragically. Family members saying, send the hush money back. 
And so for many of us that are in this place of injustice, it is time to say, you know what? We're gonna send the clothes back. Whenever people begin to cry out for injustice, the palace wants to shut people up. And as opposed to being quiet, Mordecai says, you know what? I'm gonna push back and press in and become a voice for change. Not only was she disconnected from the problem, she was disconnected from the people. And now it's time to easily get disconnected. Um, I know things are starting to ramp up and social situations are changing, but just like Esther, she was, uh, we are separated from people just like Esther was. And many of us may think, you know what? I don't really need people. I'm just tired. I don't want the burden of community. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to have to press in and I've grown really comfortable with this habit or I'm, I'm lonely, but I just don't really want to open up. Listen, friends, I know that temptation very well. It was only a few years ago when I felt in a very uh, depressed place, a very lonely place. And as a pastor, it's easy to, to conceal those things, to not know where to turn, not know who you can talk to. And the way God often changes us is not apart from community, but in community. There are ways that God is going to change you that can only happen in community. And together, we can weather that storm. And the thing I love about the weapons God gives us to weather that storm when things are against us is we have friends we can connect with who can support us during times of struggle. So many of us are trying to do life alone. And it's not the way it was meant to be. And during that time, I was still having to preach. I was still having to encourage people. I was still having to be strong for other people, but I was needing people to be strong for me. And it was my friends and others at Missio Day and other staff members and other pastors who came and poured into me, was there for me and brought me closer in so much that I didn't even realize how hurt I was because the healing power of God worked through them. Now, that is what happens when we are connected. It all started with this church family and my reality of I can't do life alone. And for some, you have been hit in the season by the perfect storm. Not the storm of looking to the left and looking to the right, not the storm of, of, of looking towards, you know, the storm of being misunderstood or the storm of financial issues, the perfect storm when everything collides at the wrong time. It reminds me of the story of the Andrea Gale. It is a story of a fishing boat on the East Coast that uh, years ago got caught in the perfect storm. These six fishermen cried out, did everything they could to get located and found, but they didn't. And the tragic story is the ship capsized and the crew dies. But the saddest part of the story, when years later, when they recovered the ship, they found that the emergency locator beacon was turned off. I can see them wondering why no, one's, why no one's helping. Why is no one coming out to help? But in reality, they had their signal turned off. And no one's coming here. Our signal is turned off. Don't come here today in this digital service with your signal turned off in your private spot. You need to go out and find somebody. You are among friends today. You are among a family that will advocate for you, support you, that is filled with the Holy Spirit that will come and walk in life beside you. And so I urge you and encourage you that thank God that we don't have to do life alone and be committed to raising your emergency locator beacon to say, I need help. I need some help in my need. I need someone to come beside me today. Don't 
feel the awkward shame of reaching out. Now is a time when that's even harder than ever. We're seeing everyone having uh, more fun, getting outside, socializing, and it can magnify that sense of loneliness and make us even feel more embarrassed. But it is time to stay connected more than ever. So disconnection is not an option. But secondly, when the odds are against us, perfection is not required. Mordecai tells Esther in a letter that he writes her, and he says, it's time for you to speak up. And Esther says, who, me? She raises a fair point. She says, you know, I'm not in a position to speak up. And her fair point is, is that she hasn't been summoned by King Xerxes for 30 days. She has not had any contact nor intimacy with the king for 30 days. And to enter into his room and his chamber would have been a capital punishment, even for the queen. She says, I would risk my life. I would be as good as dead to speak up and to go and summon the king and to speak up for my people. And so Mordecai tells her, you know, the one who once said assimilate now says it's time for you. And if maybe you brought to this royal palace, maybe you were orphaned, maybe that you were trafficked, and maybe you were with all the social realities facing in the palace for such a time as this. He doesn't say, you've got to do it, which, I, which is crazy. He, he would think he would say, if you don't speak up, nothing's going to happen. No, he says this, if you don't speak up and if you don't let God use you, Hadassah, he'll step over you and find the person willing to step up. And he says, who knows? Maybe you've been brought to this royal position for such a time as this. Maybe this is the reason you've been born. This is your destiny. And so in this moment, for Esther, now I know for a lot of us who've been raised in church, we know the story. We've seen the spoiler on Rotten Tomatoes. We know what's going to happen. Esther's going to rise up. She's going to speak up. She's going to protect the people and vindicate their people from the annihilation that's been ordered by Haman. Now, but for Esther, remember, this is a real critical issue. This takes so much courage. This is a real question for her. She's been concealing her ethnic identity. She was passive in ways she ought not. She was living a compromised life in the Persian Empire, and we too live compromised lives. We too often have God calling us to a certain area, calling us to be salt and light in our city, calling us to be salt and light in our marriages, in our families, calling us to be salt and light in our workplaces, and yet we feel, gosh, I failed too much for God to ever use someone like me. God is not calling us to be perfect and perfection is not required. And many of us are asking the same questions as Esther. Could God really use someone like me? This is often the question in my heart. I remember when I was called in ministry, I was like, I'm not good like these other Christians around me. I feel like I'm an evil person. I got a horrible past. I've got a crazy dysfunctional upbringing. And, and so we, we've got this, this sense where we don't feel qualified. God does not call the qualified. He's not looking around the earth going, who's amazing? Who's already totally holy? Who's up to par? Mm, not you. Next. Mm, not you. Next. Um, you know, some of you are like, well, I am. That's self-righteousness. A whole nother sermon. But God does not call the qualified. Moses, 
Remember, he says, deliver my people. And Moses is like, I can't even speak. I'm an INTJ on the Myers-Briggs, which means I'm not very like persuasive. You know, I'm more of an S and a C on the disc. I'm not really an I. Like, I can't do this. I can't talk very well. But in the moments of pain, perfection is not required. He, throughout church history, the church has often said that God doesn't call the qualified. You know what he does? He qualifies the called. He qualifies those he called, and God is able to do his perfect work with his imperfect people. So in a moment of pain, can I progress? Yes, but here's what you need to know. Disconnecting is not an option. Number two, perfection is not required. And number three, we have been handed a victory, so we always have a reason to celebrate. The Jewish people at the end of the story of Esther have been handed a victory. They are not annihilated. They are set free through the vindication and representation of Esther. And we have a greater representation than Esther and Mordecai. We have Jesus Christ who has vindicated us by raising from the dead and setting us free from our oppressors. And I love that in the Jewish history, whenever Pur during Purim, when the book of Esther is read twice in the synagogue, they end up celebrating intensely over this moment. And during Purim, they uh, also recognize that Psalm 22 is connected. Early Jewish rabbis saw Psalm 22 as a personal lament in during times of distress. Psalm 22, we know, is the one that Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jewish rabbis believe that this psalm was written by David to be given to Queen Esther to be read in the idol-filled chapel of the king and to pray over and to be a moment of both lament and praise. And I'm here to tell you that when we are in the midst of personal distress like Esther and like Jesus who cries out, we can know like Esther, we will be vindicated and like Jesus, we will be held by our father and personal distress will be transformed into gratitude. Personal distress will be transformed to a public expression of worship because we have been handed a victory and we always have a reason to celebrate. Some of us need to remember some stakeholder anniversaries in our spiritual life, right? I know it's cheesy that we have, you know, anniversaries for when you were saved or baptized uh, and beats a whole lot of other anniversaries. You ever met the person that's like, it's our five week dating anniversary. It's my seven week work anniversary. I mean, come on, like get some good anniversaries here. Um, but you can tell a lot about a person by what they celebrate. And I'm here to tell you that we always have a reason to celebrate because of our salvation and hope in God. So let's never forget what's happened from us. Let's not disconnect from the problem. Let's not disconnect from the people. Let's know that perfection is not required and we have been handed a victory. And so therefore, we always have a reason to celebrate. As I close Monsieur Day, I just wanna remind you that in that time of my story, uh, Ashley and I, we had some really difficult conversations. We doubted our calling. We, we wondered, man, we thought we were here in Chicago forever, but what if this is the end? What if we need to move on? Should we have conversations and discerning of what's next? And, you know, we like to have those conversations in privacy, not around our children, but I think one of our children was eavesdropping and hearing us. And then that afternoon later, my daughter looked at me and she said, Daddy, will you stay in Chicago for me? You see, in that moment, None of our circumstances had changed. None of our trials had been different. But in a moment, my perspective had changed because if 
A, Jesus is my victory, and I was in the position and circumstance of C, my daughter was the beeline to show us that there is a reason to celebrate in this moment and remember what God has done, amen? And so it's time for us to praise God for what he will do in anticipation, to praise God for what gifts he will bring us in advance. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, I'm gonna praise God for what he will do? for what he has already promised and claim those promises. And I'm going to celebrate that victory. Some of us need to praise him in this moment. Some of us need to raise our emergency locator beaker, uh, beacon and say, I am here, I need help. But all of us are invited today to stir our imagination because praise is a place of action. Praise is a place where we see God do amazing things in our community. And the answer in your prayers are not found in perfecting your style of praise. They are in letting go. They are not taking hold of, they are letting go. And praise unlocks power in the church that brings the world to its knees. And so what would it look like if we took praise seriously in this moment as a church? Let's pray. God, we Thank you so much for what you're doing and who you are, how you have shown us so many gifts in this moment. And even though odds may seem against us in this moment, there's still others around us that are in need, that are saying, sending the clothes back that in our privilege, we need to listen to. There's, there's people that need to raise their hand and say, I need you. And for all of us, we need to praise you despite the circumstance. God, would you move in this time? Would you cause us into action to praise you like never before and see the power of praise in the midst of difficulty? God, when odds are against us, may we be people who progress and may we be the praise, may the praise of your people rise to the, the, the sweet, sweetness of your heart, God. May it rise up to you and may you see this as a sweet aroma of your church and may you be blessed by the praise of Missio Day, And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.